Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where our compass always points north, but what if north isn't always up, or if you want to go west? I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. We're coming up on Labor Day weekend this weekend. Monday, of course, is Labor Day. And so is that a time where you take a break and enjoy, or is it just an extra work day with fewer interruptions? Yeah, drop me a note, let me know. A couple of years ago, we planned a hiking trip over Labor Day, and the goal was to find a hidden waterfall. You know, the place where we were going had some rough trails, and the hidden waterfall was somewhere off one of the trails. It wasn't marked. And none of the four of us had been there, but we had a map. And and by map, I mean like a, a rough drawing, literally on a napkin. And, you know, it showed us where this place was. And the adventure was a, a little bit like building a business, I think. I mean, you know where you want to get to and you know where you are sometimes. And the middle part is just a little bit fuzzy. But picture this, you know, standing on a trailhead ready to start. And you have two choices. Option A you could be armed with only a poorly drawn map on a napkin. And uh, that's what we had. Or we'll say option B is you hike with a seasoned trail guide who knows every twist, turn, and scenic overlook. What do you think? Well, going solo might give you that rugged Bear grills feeling. But, you know, let's be real. I mean, it's more likely to end up confused and, you know, giving the squirrel the side eye as you contemplate your life choices. Uh, we did a little bit of that on the way for sure. You know, it's the business equivalent of just kind of jumping into a new market without any research. I mean, sure, you'll have some stories to tell, but uh, it might start with, oh, yeah, remember that time where we almost went bankrupt? Yeah. Or the flip side, take a company like Snowflake, you know, a cloud computing company. They navigated a complex trail of data warehousing with guidance from experts like uh, Bob Muglia. On the flip side, take Snowflake, cloud computing company, and they navigated the complex trail of data warehousing with guidance from experts and some experts from Microsoft, Bob Muglia. And it's like having a trail guide who is summited Everest, you know, and the result had wildly successful IPO market cap that most companies just dream of. Now, I'm not saying that every season guide will turn you into a unicorn, but they sure as heck won't let you pitch your tent in the middle of a poison ivy patch, right? In business, it's about mentorship, advisory boards, and strategic partnerships. I mean, they're your compass, topographical map, and ridiculously over-engineered pair of hiking boots that uh, you swear is too much, but ends up saving your ankle in the end, right? Today, we'll unpack some of the essential gear on your business journey as you approach either raising capital or an exit. And that could be a partial exit or a total exit and what to look for in an experience guide. You know, the ones that can help you dodge the pitfalls, enjoy the vistas, and maybe even find the hidden waterfall that everybody just walks past. They don't even know it's there. So you ready to hit the trail, elevate your business to new heights? Let's lace up those boots, grab your walking stick, and let's get this adventure started. And I promise it'll be way better than talking to a squirrel. If you could use an upgrade to your SaaS building trail map, check out championleadership.com in my book, Small Fish, Big Pond, building a world-class business that swims circles around competitors. Small Fish, Big Pond actually centers around two different labor days a year apart and delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your company is the only solution for them. It includes step-by-step -step frameworks and time-tested growth principles to attract ideal clients, convert them, and then transform them into your brand ambassadors. Pick up the print, ebook, audio today at smallfishbigpond.com, Amazon, or your favorite book source. 
If you've been around for a little while, you know that all book profits go to charity, always have. And this month, we're supporting the relief in Maui. So we were in Hawaii when the fire started. I actually came home that day uh, when things got crazy there. Uh, Maui was hammered in heavy, heavily populated area, total devastation, tragic loss of life, and still a lot of people missing. And so if you want to help, check out the HawaiiCommunityFoundation.org or Red Cross. Both of those are on the ground and really involved in day-to-day relief efforts. Uh, so all profits for August are going to help the people of Maui in addition to, to what we're giving outside of that. And so I appreciate you partnering with us. It's one of those things that's kind of falling out of the news cycle now, but, uh, but we haven't forgotten. So you know, through the end of August, all the profits uh, are going to support Maui Relief. Our founder on Tuesday was David Rush. He is founder and CEO of Small World. Small World is reducing the cost of customer acquisition through the power of relationships. How about that? Small World Relationship Activation Platform helps sales and marketing teams secure warm introductions at scale. It's an amazing concept, fascinating founder journey. So if you missed that, go check out David and Small World. And then a week ago, our expert guest was Dan Radu, who's president of Macro. Macro is a team of experts who grow companies in digital marketing strategies and executions of marketing campaigns at scale. Dan and his team are the, the people who leaders call when they want to make better data-driven decisions or need help scaling to global marketing operations. Great insights into channel marketing in that episode specifically. So if you missed either one of those, go back and give them a listen. My guest this week is Christine McDaniel, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. She is founder and principal of the Magnolia Firm. It's an M&A brokerage helping digital business owners like SaaS companies achieve a perfect exit. The Magnolia Firm has helped countless entrepreneurs cross the chasm from business ownership to a successful exit, all without compromising values or dream outcome. So, so important. It's something that gets lost, and I love that that is part of what they do. They specialize in helping owners achieve a 100% success rate for exits, with most closings coming in either at full asking or over asking price. You know, Christine is from San Diego and sometimes a boat captain out there, and you'll know how much I love that. So welcome a true exit Sherpa, we'll say Captain Christine McDaniel. Hey, Christine, welcome to SAS Fuel. Thank you for having me. So excited for this interview. Well, tell me a little bit about your background. You've been an entrepreneur for, we'll just say a while. Tell me, how did you get to where you are today? Tell me, what's that journey like? Well, thank you for not aging me, but I'll tell everybody, actually, <laughs> I have 20 years of entrepreneurship uh, experience, uh, 10 startups from the ground up, and then another probably 10 or more, <laughs> losing track these days, um, of acquisitions, roll-ups, um, buy-sell situations. So like 20 different ventures in 20 years. So it's been a very, very fun ride. I was born to do this. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, you know, I, I could dig deeper if you want, but yeah, that's high level. That's awesome. That's a lot. And so 10 Ventures, what what was your favorite one? So I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but it is. uh, it was lucky number seven. Well, this one for sure, the Magnolia Firm, because this is kind of, you know, everything combined what I've done in 20 years. Um, And so, and I get my serial entrepreneurial fix because we are diving into each of these businesses that are exiting and preparing them and learning their their industry and their business from the inside out. So now I feel like, oh, I, you know, I have all these different hands. I'm in these different ventures um, so that finally I'm good. I don't have to buy a bunch of businesses anymore of my own. But number seven was Eco Chateau Wellness Spa here in San Diego. So started in 2012 and then I exited in 2017. But it was 37 amazing women. We had two locations. We were growing so fast, helping the community. It was back when wellness wasn't so popular yet, which is kind of funny. It's Mm -hmm. nice to see the trend these days. So yeah, that would be my favorite. (laughs) That's awesome. And tell me about Magnolia. I mean, this is you know a lot of a lot of previous companies kind of coming together to create something really cool now. 
For sure. Yeah. So the Magnolia firm, I started about a year and a half ago. I had a few girlfriends of mine that were exiting companies, some for seven figures, some for eight figures. And they brought me on as a consultant because they knew I had done all my own exits, except the very first one, because I didn't know what I was doing back as in my 20s still. So yeah, they brought me in as a consultant and I was just, you know, we exited. I think there was three back to back that I sold for higher than average multiples and like all cash deals. And this is in 2021. And so they were all like, you have to do this for real, which, which an M&A boutique firm was like my retirement plan. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we could do it now. It's fun. And yeah, we were off to the races. And then eight months later, or about a year later, um, I met my business partner. And, you know, I always told myself if I wanted to take Keep it, you know, Magnolia Firm could be a cute little boutique firm, lifestyle business for me. I could be semi-retired, do a couple deals a year and be totally fine. And I've got a, I had a couple team members already, or I could bring on a business partner and we can expand very rapidly. And that's usually my style. So yeah, a year in, um, brought Caledon. He's amazing. And so yeah, just growing the firm very quickly doing amazing deals also. It's definitely a seller's market for everybody listening or watching this. Still, believe it or not, don't let the R word worry you. If it is a cash flowing net positive business, people are snatching them up left and right. Like you wouldn't believe. Those always have value. Doesn't matter what the economy is doing. Companies that make money are valuable. Exactly. (laughs) So is there a specific area that you specialize in? Well, I know this is a SaaS fuel podcast. So uh, we do only digital-based software companies, remote-based, globally, international, our clients are. We're on the sell side. So we're just strictly working with the seller, with the founder and helping them exit. Um, so you're talking about digital marketing agencies, PR firms, um, cybersecurity. One, we just got under contract pretty quickly. And then what's extra hot right now are these CRM integrator agencies. So these are the agencies that somebody's going to bring in, a big company's going to bring them in to implement their Salesforce or their HubSpot or their Zoho, whatever massive CRM system they're trying to install or customize or integrate, which is a massive undertaking. Like we we have Zoho yeah. and Khaled's always busy like tweaking and uh, making automations. It's like a full-time, it's like a part-time job that never ends. So yeah. these agencies, we've sold like three or four back-to-back within weeks, all cash, uh, you know, higher than average multiples. They're just very hot industry. Um, SaaS is very competitive as far as, is people wanting to exit, um, and still amazing multiples. So competitive in a good way, right? It's a lot of, a lot of M&A right. business advisors are trying to grab those listings, um, which is totally fine because we kind of have our own niche, but that 100% recurring revenue is just like music to people's ears. <laughs> That's what they want those SaaS companies. <laughs> right, right. So you exited multiple businesses and you did your own uh, and then you, you've you done that a couple of times and now you're doing it for other people. If somebody is looking to exit, should they bring on a firm or should they try and do it on their own? Because you've done it both ways. I know. Isn't it funny? And I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because it's like, hey, or biased, right? Like, oh, we're helping people. Right. So you have to have somebody in your corner. Or, But I've done my own and I just was so experienced at it. And uh, my logic was, you know, if I could build... I've done so many deals. I've seen so many deals. So it's just like second nature to me. So I was comfortable doing it. You know, if I could build a company from scratch, I'm a salesperson, I'm a marketer. Why couldn't I sell that company? Right. So, so that was a challenge to myself and just studying human psychology and sales and M and A. And so, I mean, either way, I mean, we're even publishing a book where we should be done within a month. So anybody can reach out to us. We're actually going to, um, give it away for, for free, like a physical little handbook on how to sell your own business, like A to Z. Because of course, any M&A advisor intermediary is going to be like, oh, it's so hard and, you know, and not tell you, <laughs> right. like, yeah, I mean, of course, they're being extremely biased. Um, and again, we, again, we might know little things and strategies that just amongst all the years of our experience of doing deals that maybe some, a founder wouldn't know or think about because um, there are little components, different pieces of the deal. Uh, no deal is the same. I don't think AI will ever automate. And I've had these 
conversations with people actually building AI software in the space. I mean, I, I, I even, they say maybe 60% of it could be automated in the future of doing deals. Um, cause there are platforms that are doing it right now, but every deal, especially that, that LOI to the date that money's wired into your account is like, I don't know. Most of it's nope. therapy. The seller, it's like therapy with the seller because it, it is, it gets a little stressful. Um, and yeah, yes. they're just so different. Yeah, I think every deal is is way different, and and there are nuances to everyone, and AI doesn't understand the the personality, the the drivers, the kind of the culture of the company. I mean, there's a lot of intangibles I think that AI could never be able to to really value. No, you're exactly right. Because I even we have just some really strange things come up in the transaction, like the EIDL loans. There's some really cool ninja things you could do that nobody, not even any any every other advisor said I couldn't do it. But of course, that makes me want to do something more. Is we <laughs> took EIDL the, those loans, which you know you're talking a you know thirty year loan at like three percent interest. It's like the cheapest money you can have, you know. And we've gotten the buyer to assume the loan towards. The the purchase price and the buyer's stoked, right? And then the seller's getting that right. that payout. Um, and I kind of messed around with AI to see if AI could even come up with that, right, as a solution. So yeah, there's, you know, I'm I love AI. I'm messing around with it, but there's there's definitely scenarios it's not <laughs> coming up with the answers. Sure, sure. Well, I think it's really interesting the the book and kind of telling people here's how to do it yourself. And most people would look at that and think, well, I don't want to tell them how to do it. And most firms don't of, oh, it's so hard. You need us. But I think that's a really smart strategy uh, because they will learn things. And I think the, the ultimate conclusion is you really educated me. I know a lot. And now I want somebody in my corner. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And it gives them that option, right? And it's just like, hey, here's A to Z. And maybe it still is overwhelming. We literally gave you A to Z, everything to expect, most of the stuff to expect, because <laughs> some stuff you don't <laughs> expect, um, and how to handle it. And yeah, so it's then it's up to them. But I think you're right. And even me, and my team, you know, the team's helping me write the book. We're like, yeah, they might see and be like, ah, I still don't want to do this. Even if, even if it lays it out for me, I don't want to do this. Yeah, I love the way that you describe that as founder therapy because there's there are so many things that can go wrong between the LOI and close. And even the things that that don't go wrong, it's the thought of what if it does? Or you know, what if I don't have this or what do I how do I present that? And having somebody that has that expertise, I think is really, really key. Uh, is that a role that, that you really thought you would be in early on, or is this something that's developed over time? <laughs> No, I'm glad you asked that. I actually love it. So I am, you know, my father was a business owner and he never got stressed. Like I genuinely never saw him get stressed out. Even the times he should have been stressed, like owing the IRS a ton of money and all this crazy stuff. And he thought it was funny. So I handle those situations. My business partner too, we're very empathetic. We don't get stressed out very easily. So the stuff arises that a seller wasn't expecting. And they're like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. And we're like, no, it's not. Like, here's some solutions. Let's walk through it. Like if we get stressed out, they're going to get more stressed out. And it, nothing sure. is like, you just got to go with it. Um, so I don't mind it at all. Because again, I know what it feels like to be in that position. Like we're entrepreneurs ourselves and we've been through the, <laughs> we've been through the, the storm <laughs> and the jungle of entrepreneurship. So I don't mind it at all. I love getting on the phone with them um, anytime. Our sellers have all of our cell phone numbers. They could call, text anytime, any day. Um, and I think that brings them comfort too. We respond so fast, right. like within like minutes usually. Uh, yeah. And then we just kind of talk them off the ledge a little bit. And again, this is the thing that, you know, almost everybody, it's very rare somebody has sold a company already. It's such a few tiny, tiny percentage of, of people in the world that have actually sold a company or even have a friend that has sold a company or a colleague. So they have zero idea of what to expect. They just don't have the experience or they can't ask around. Um, so that's it's just the unknown that makes them nervous. Sure. And I found that actually working, you know, with a firm like Magnolia Firm, that uh, the the cost people are concerned about that, and and it's a non-issue because what you can do and present the way you present the company, the way that that uh, you deliver the package, gets them a premium over what they thought that they would get anyway. 
Yeah, no doubt in my mind, we make up for, and you can ask, and and anybody could go to our website, and we've got all our amazing success stories. These are legit testimonials. We even have the LinkedIn, you know, links for these sellers, so you can reach out. And um, I mean, there's one example. He wanted, he said he would walk uh, for two million. We got him three point five million cash. So uh, trust me, our commission and our commission checks are big. I mean, we're we're expensive. We're not going to sure. lie because we we are a boutique agency. We're very hands on. Um, I mean, that definitely covered our commission. So I always <laughs> like to speak with a seller and it's like upfront, like what's your drop dead price. And then I want to make sure our commission is going to be covered. Like, hey, let's go to market at this price because at least we're covered and you had all this support and we handled it because it's very distracting to run the process. It's like a legit full-time job. So what happens is they take their eye off the ball, the sales start decreasing, and then that makes it a million times harder to exit your company and to sell it for a premium price. If if you were growing and now you're declining because you got super distracted it's an emotional process. So we're just kind of guarding you from a lot of the drama, <laughs> most of the drama. And then we're only bringing you in when we need to. That's really, really smart. Yeah. Having somebody, we working with somebody like you is, is absolute gold. And uh, the cost is, is it, it, there are big checks, but the, the value and the benefit that you get is far, far higher than that. Definitely. Yeah. And I'd say more often than not, these sellers are coming to us and they're actually undervaluing their business. I'm pretty surprised. Um, and so I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, it just happened. We just sent another client last week and they, I'm like, where'd you come up with that price? And they're like, oh, we just did a little bit of research online. This is the multiple, but there's so many intangibles, like you said earlier, that add, it's such uh, an art and a science. Okay, great. There's a multiple, sure. but it's not just the multiple. It is not. It is like, how long has your team been there? You know, how loyal are they? How many systems do you have a lot of systems in place? Recurring revenue? Do you have contracts? All that stuff is completely on top. That value is built on top of that foundation. And so yeah, we've we we probably got them. I think we marked it up another 10, 15% going to market. We're like, no, it's actually worth more. <laughs> that that happens yeah. more often than not, which is great. <laughs> And that's what uh, buyers are looking for is people who don't have representation, who really don't know, maybe a little bit naive. It's their first sale and they're going to go in and, and get a deal. Definitely, definitely. And then on the flip, you definitely still have the people that think their company is worth a billion dollars, you know? (laughs) And then especially the ones that just rate, again, for listeners in the SaaS industry, you know, your following that's probably listening or watching this is that, you know, maybe, and I had my, and we could talk, touch a little bit on my last company was a SaaS company, um, myself. So I know the space. And so, you know, we raised on some insane valuation in 2019. It like blew my mind. But what's happening is now those same people, that may be raised, you know, on a 10 million valuation only, you know, months into the venture pre-rev, they're coming to us and they are be like, hey, my company's worth 10 million. And I'm like, well, no, it's not. <laughs> a, the, the tide has sure. changed. B, raising capital isn't necessarily the valuation that's the same if you go to exit, if you go to market. Um, right. that That's different, right? And just educate, you know, and a lot of people, you know, they're younger, again, they're in SaaS, they're brilliant, you know, founders. But but yeah, they don't understand kind of the crossover. So it's like, well, no, it wouldn't be, you know, we can't sell it for 10 million, even though you're raising on a valuation of 10 million like two years ago. Sure. And what happens in those kind of circumstances where they've raised on a valuation that's really high and now they're coming to market and, and reality hits and they can't really exit for that? You yeah. know, are they just stuck? No, 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 they're not stuck. I mean, again, pre-rev, I mean, if they have IP, if they have, if they've built software, if they have trademarks, if they have a team, a lot of people are doing aqua hires right now, right? Cause they need the team. Mm-hmm. So there's still value. So I don't want anybody throwing in the towel because they're like, Oh, we didn't hit revenue. We're shutting the doors. Um, somebody else, like a strategic can still find value in that business, especially SaaS. So, so definitely anybody can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Like I'm always happy to help and I'm great on that platform. If, anybody wants to message me, but there there could be still some sort of value, right? So at least you're getting some off the table and then you just have to deal with your investors separately. So I had a SaaS company um, for three years in the heyday and I was in Los Angeles at the time and it was just like such this, this amazing energy, right? In 2018 of tech and software. And I got two technical co-founders. I knew nothing about tech 
really. Um, we got into Techstars Amsterdam within four months, which is crazy. And then we got an like almost one. seven, eight figure LOI on the table pre-revenue only 10 months later. And so it was like a, it was like a rocket ship I couldn't get off of. It was like 80 hour weeks and like the most stress I've ever had in my life. And, you know, and so we were raising on a $10 million valuation pre-rev back in those days. And then you, we couldn't hit revenue. And, you know, we raised from angels, not VC, thank God. <laughs> but I personally guaranteed <laughs> those notes with all my angels because I'm just an all-in type of person. I had six figures into it myself personally. And so, yeah, we did not sell it for what we put in. But again, at least we sold it and then just sorted everything out with the investors. And I, what I ended up doing, because it wasn't enough to pay them back, but luckily my brokerage took off so quickly and I was making such great money that I just started paying them off out of that. Um, I just, in order to sleep at night. And so it was, it was a wild ride. But again, it, it's great for me now to speak the language and know what these founders are going through on the exit, right? Sure. Like how can we salvage? How can we get some sort of value? And mine was a strategic that acquired us and they were in LA. So it worked out. That's good. So if for listeners that don't really understand the difference, explain what uh, the difference is between a strategic and a financial exit or a financial acquisition versus strategic acquisition. Yes. So strategics are great a lot of times. So this is somebody that might want to acquire your company and kind of fold you in. Like I said, maybe they want your team, your brand. Um, maybe it's a bolt-on. So an acquisition, they'll kind of bring you in and roll you in. And usually they won't take your brand. They'll kind of fold it under their brand. And so that that's one way to do it. A bolt-on. So like we recently exited a PR agency which is so funny. This was one of my friends that was 20 years of business, amazing client list, but decreasing uh, revenue. She she was doing something else. She didn't want to deal with it anymore. She's going to shut it down. I said, Hey, Sarah, like, I think I could get you six figures, like at least real quick. Like, why would you walk away? And she's like, Oh my God, that would be amazing. And so I got it. She's like, Oh, even like 150K would be great. I got her 300 cash like, within a month or two. So she was <laughs> stoked. But, um, but what happened was that was just strategic, right? So again, he's saw the value in the client list. He didn't care about the decreasing sure. revenue. So he it was like a bolt-on because they weren't offering... First, he went on the client list because he could cross-sell them. So it was like this digital marketing agency that did socials and all this other stuff, but they didn't have a PR arm and they wanted the client list. So um, nice. that would be one. A financial buyer... We've got like the PE firms. So those are like financial buyers that are strictly looking at the numbers. Like that's all they care about. Okay. They're not emotional buyers. It's super hard for us to kind of play up the future potential or like, hey, what about the team and this value and that value? They're just like strictly looking at the numbers. We haven't sold to a PE firm at all yet for that reason mainly. And because it's such a hot seller's market, I have so many private buyers. Like most of our buyers are private right now still even over strategics. These are people leaving corporate, finally embarking on their first adventure business acquisitions. Um, they're buying a cash flowing business because it can actually replace their salary. And what they're doing is they're using OPM. So other people's money, they'll go get an SBA loan. You know, they could buy a business, you know, they could put a 10% down on a million dollar purchase price. That's a hundred K out of pocket. Um, you know, the, the business is going to service back, pay back the loan, plus give you some cash flow. Uh, so it's been fun to help those buyers. And yeah, just another one this week, we have an LOI coming in and he's also leaving. It's his first business he's going to purchase. And the, he said the same thing the other one said, which is like, I am so sick of making other people rich because <laughs> that's what they're doing. <laughs> I loved it. He yes. said it today. That's really good. So what are mistakes that people make as founders when they go to exit? Ooh, there's a lot. Okay. Um, having <laughs> clean books is ideal. <laughs> We've been trying to, you know, we're not going to turn them away. And, and again, we're super hands on and we're entrepreneurial ourselves. We freaking get it. You know, we've had books a mess in the past because you're just growing, 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 growing. And that's not, it's like sales, 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 bring money in the door, organize the money <laughs> later in the QuickBooks, Cat <laughs> recategorize it later. It's miscat. I mean, myself and I feel like a hypocrite half the time because I need to get into our QuickBooks. We have a bookkeeper. 
super, but I still have to get in once a month to like recategorize some stuff. And I'm like a few months behind. <laughs> so I'm like, we need to practice what we <laughs> preach. But again, we're so busy. So that's not top of my list. So I was yeah. like, okay, we could deal with that later uh, prior to the taxes being done. And so that yeah. would be a big one is just trying Every to get... Founder. Yeah, every founder and they feel, and it's every, I mean, word for word, they always are embarrassed. Like, and they shouldn't be. I was like, it's literally every single founder that talks to us. Like, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. I don't know all my numbers. I don't look at my PL, you know, and they have bookkeepers, but they're like, gosh, I don't, you know, I'm so embarrassed. Like, I don't know that. Right. But I don't expect people to look at a PL, you know, every week of their company um, either. So they're just like rocking and rolling and they're putting out fires and they're growing in their company. And that's honestly what's the most important. So mistakes, other mistakes that they could be making. Um, I think only focusing on the exit price is not smart, in the, especially in the very beginning. My mm. best advice and all my startups. So I never had an exit price in mind until the SaaS company. I fell into that hole, even though I knew better. I like would tell myself, don't, don't have this number in your head of like, I'm going to exit for this much. Like that actually will naturally come if you just concentrate on building an incredible company, incredible reputation, incredible team. That's all you should be caring about. Do not be like, I'm going to, you know, exit for a billion. I'm going to exit for a billion. And that's kind of like a selfish goal. Like, so we actually word things differently in our firm. Like our goal is to, is to do a billion dollars worth of exits for founders. Okay. We're, we're not focused on our net take home. Right. Cause again, that's just so selfish. Like, is that going to get us out of bed? Is that going to make my team excited? Probably not of like, Oh, we're going to make this much money and we're going to exit the firm for this much. No, I want to know, you know, I want us to wake up every morning saying, gosh, like what an impact if we can exit, you know, a billion dollars worth of exits for our sellers, like life changing money for a lot of them. So yeah, I think, I think that would be my other mistake. I see people doing all the time. I mean, I talked to a friend recently who's just, just building software. He's less than a year in. He's like, I'm going to exit for 8 billion. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's just get to like your first million in revenue <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an important thing. For sure. So what about uh, like marketing? Are you, most founders, do they have marketing and, and is their stuff ready to go when uh, investors come knocking or is that something that, uh, that they struggle with as well? No, you actually just reminded me of another thing. Another massive mistake is the business is wrapped around the owner. So we have to like unwrap, mm. you know, they're the face of the company and the voice and they're all over the website and they're, they, they're, they're, they do all the sales. So they land all the clients. Um, they're the biz dev person, the salesperson, um, the marketer, you know, they're working 40. I mean, it's not even, if they're working over 40 hours a week, there's going to be an earn out like involved and we do everything we can. I don't think we've had a single earn out yet, but again, we're taking these A++ customers where the owner's working like 10 hours a week. That seems to be like a sweet spot. If you're working 10 to 15 hours a week, the business can run without you. You can leave for a month. It wouldn't matter. Um, it's a sellable company. If not, if it's wrapped so much around you, we got to like try to unravel it, which we do. We start stripping stuff from day one. We're like, oh my God, you need a biz dev person. Stop doing the sales. Stop landing the clients. Have an employee take over all your big client relationships, right? Because the owner's interfacing with them constantly. Yeah. Uh, so we can we can help them with that really quickly. But the more they could do that in advance, the better. That's really, really smart. And I see that that a lot is it is it does become wrapped around. I mean, I've done uh, five exits. They've all been strategic and one earn out and, and that was miserable. <laughs> How so, long was yeah. your earn out? How long was it? Two years? Three four years. years. <laughs> Three years. And finally, at the end of year two, we're like, can, can we just go? Can oh, we just stop? And they're did, like, yeah, that's fine. Did you leave a little money on the table or no? <laughs> no, no, it didn't. Oh, you're but it lucky. Was, it was it was two years of misery. <laughs> yeah, and uh, with, with you know staring at a third, and thought I'm never going to do that again. No, so building smart. I mean, having somebody like you that would have told me that earlier on, it would have been really, really valuable. No, yeah, I'm glad you you shared that. Thank you for sharing that to your audience because yeah, I have yet <laughs> there was a recent earnout where he was okay. I was shocked. I would have bet he's a close friend of mine. Um I think it was a two, it was a 2 year he just finished it. I would have put down 
a thousand dollar bet that he wasn't going to stay. I mean, like a month into it, he's like, no, this is fine. This is great. And then, uh, like in the second month in, he's like, oh my God, I'm going to walk. Like you literally watch them <laughs> come in, wipe out half your team. They're like changing. It's like you, they're your boss. <laughs> they're t- doing stuff to your company you don't like and you're watching, you're in it watching it. Um, right, so majority right. people won't stay, but he had five million sitting on the table. So he, he did the two years, but he got, he got a nice little salary for those two years. And he was like, <laughs> never there. They didn't have him doing anything. So he, he made it through. But yeah, yeah everybody listening. That's the tough part about it. Yeah. yeah. Just you know, not being productive and just watching everything you built kind of be dismantled. And, uh, and, you know, and it's, not, it's not always a bad thing. Sometimes because they are rolling into something else, it makes a little sense. Um, but from the owner's perspective, it's always a bad thing. Because, you know, the way that we built it was the right way. And yeah. now somebody's messing it all up. And then you can't <laughs> say a word. Actually, I just, right, I, I'm, right. a, I'm around a lot of people that have had recent exits that I wasn't a part of. So I love hearing the stories. So there's a husband and wife, which a husband and wife exiting a company, and I need to find the exact numbers. The percentage of that even happening is so tiny, I heard. I, and I got to find the exact that. stats. It's so tiny. So then the, this big company acquires them. They were just sharing the story. And I think they still have a year left of the earn out. And they put the wife in a really cool like sales position outside sales. She gets to travel. She loves it. And they've been together for like 30 years. They put the husband in like a horrible position that he hates. And it's so stressful for him. Like, I don't know if he's on operations or managing the team. And he's miserable during this earn out. But she's actually like, oh, I love it. It's fine. <laughs> so it's kind of like an interesting dichotomy. But again, they don't want to leave the money on. It's a lot on the table that you just would have to walk from. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So a lot of SaaS companies, especially in growth mode, are not just looking at exiting. They're also looking at acquiring. They want to grow through acquisition. So what kind of advice do you have for buyers or for companies that are wanting to go acquire and be the strategic and add to their portfolio? Oh my God, I love that. Okay, so super smart, especially if they're going to buy. If it's uh, with software, obviously, they might, you know, is it cheaper? Kind of like Google and these massive tech companies, they acquire so yeah. many businesses because it's cheaper for them to acquire a company than to build the software in-house. So have the engineers Absolutely. and all this. So that's massive, right? So sometimes somebody will acquire, you know, you as a SaaS company, like, oh, you know, you got to weigh the costs. Like, do we want to build this out? and bring on more engineers and all this crazy stuff and manage more people? Or would we just rather acquire this smaller company mainly for the tech? Great idea. Same with staffing. Again, there was a shortage. It's getting better now, but it's like, oh crap. Like we, we're stuck because we can't hire right now. We can't find good people. Then it's an aqua hire. You're, you're grabbing a company for that reason. Um, you're grabbing market share when you do that a lot of time. I'm a fan. You know, when I had my spa, yeah. it's not software, but I, I rolled up. I bought out three local spas, smaller ones, and rolled them in because I was grabbing market share. I was grabbing the team. I was grabbing the equipment and just like folding it in. Especially I got these at such deals. You know, people just want to fold yeah. up and shut down shop um, and they don't even know they could sell. So everybody listening, like, like don't just because it's not listed doesn't mean that person's not super stressed out over the employees. Over and they might even just shut down. So like I'm always down to do like an outbound aggressive campaign of just touching base. Hey, how are things going? Hey, if you ever want to exit, please call me first, please. And I've done that a bunch. During COVID, I picked up two spas, one for free. And then I flipped both of them right when things turned around, like 15 months later. Um, And I sent out like 200 letters here in San Diego. I was like... I know COVID is really hard right now. If for some reason you want out, you're about to shut down, please call me first. Um, Because again, they just shut down. Like they're so stressed out. They don't even think about it. That's really smart. So what should companies do if they're looking to acquire? Is there a specific process now, what do you recommend them do in, in finding potential targets for acquisition? That is the process because if they're already at, is to like cold reach out, so hit him up on LinkedIn, hit him up on a phone call, a text. Uh, you know, we call it guns blazing. We're bit, we're big on aggressive outreach in our firm, like big, like my team knows. I'm like, you're going to send an email. You're going to call. You're going to send an email and then you're going to text like 
everybody because everybody has like a different mode of, of communication I've noticed that they prefer. So it's like hit them sure. up on every single channel, LinkedIn message. So for everybody listening, those potential targets, like obviously dial in that list of exactly what kind of company you'd want to acquire, what size, what industry, you know, and then reach out. Um, again, like I just said, that verbiage of like, Hey, if you're ever thinking about exiting, you know, please reach out to me first. I'd love to have a quick conversation. Um, because the ones that are off market, you can usually get a better deal. Cause again, you might catch them on there. they the day where their head engineer quit or CTO quit. And they're <laughs> right. just like, just it like, might I'm be done. that day. It might be that day. You never know. <laughs> And they're sure. like, yep, here, you can have it for free or whatever, maybe not free. <laughs> um, so I, because, because if it is already posted publicly on the market for sale, it's usually priced higher. That's really, really good advice. For those that are wanting to exit, should they be thinking about who would want to buy it and positioning themselves? You know, what kind of company would a strategic like X want to buy and then try and become that? Or how should they go about identifying, you know, potential strategics um, to be acquired by? No, I like that. We did do that. I had a spreadsheet of possible future acquirers of Kindred um, that we kind of like kept notes on. It was a spreadsheet. And then, you know, you looking them up on Crunchbase or, you know, there's so much data online. So look on Crunchbase. Yeah. What have they acquired? What what did they pay for it? You know, and then take a look at that company, you know, do a little bit of due diligence because you can find the PR, you know, a press release a lot of times online is public. Um, you know, why? Because in the press release, it usually is going to say like why they acquire, you know, WeWork was acquiring weird little tech companies. It's kind of weird. I was like, I was following, I followed WeWork forever. Um, and so yeah. they're at, really they were doing... Yeah, they were claiming to be a tech company. They were not. Um, and then they started acquiring, you know, tech companies, <laughs> little ones to try to say they're a tech company. But, uh, and then you just see in the PR release, like why? So I don't think that ever hurts to kind of do that preliminary. Again, don't waste a lot of time on it. Like you need to go get revenue. Like I don't want, <laughs> there's research yeah, time, right. maybe on the weekends and there's go get revenue and sell and build time. Because that's the bulk of your existence in a startup tech firm. So what is most important to acquirers when they're looking at a company, particularly in the SaaS space? What are the things that you see that they're really focused on that are most important to them? Uh, without a doubt, cash flow, uh, recurring revenue, if it could be 100%, which typically with SaaS it is, 100% recurring. Uh, so those are the two biggies. Um, a stable team. Founders that are not in the day to day constantly, unless part of the team wants to stay on, and that happens too. Uh, what else are they looking for? Um, a spectacular reputation, like you need on Trustpilot, whatever review sites, Glassdoor, even which is for employees for your team. Um, you need those reviews to be five across the board. Like, please keep everybody happy. I've seen tech companies, I've seen their glass door with like one star, with like 200 pissed off employees writing shit reviews, wow. excuse my language. And I'm like, I would never touch that company because, and again, this wasn't a listing of ours because yeah, we, we have to have five stars across the board. But this, when I see that, I'm like, what is going on? Like, you'd have to come in and turn that whole thing around, which I'm not saying is impossible, but, but a reputation is hard to fix. Like if a company has a hard reputation, you have to like change the name, change the brand, start from scratch. Um, you just don't want to touch touch that. So I think that's acquires are looking for that without a doubt. Good reputation, systems, automations. Yeah, those are the biggies. That's good. And maybe that's why like cable and internet companies change their name every few years. Is that whole <laughs> reputation thing. I know, they <laughs> totally do. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Well, what is the, the biggest lesson that you've learned? 10 startups, 10 plus acquisitions, biggest lessons so far? Oh my gosh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll say this much, and I think about it all the time, is this anti-hustle culture that's happening. <laughs> you have to hustle. Every sing of my, every exit we've had, every friend of mine, every successful person in this world that I study, that I see, that I watch, that I know, even the billionaires that I know, they 
hustled, hustled their ass off. Please do not think any different. And I think, again, this generation coming up, it's like, oh, it's so easy. It's not easy. Like, you know, maybe it's getting a little bit easier, but you're going to have to hustle like you wouldn't believe. You have to give up so much, so much of your, you know, again, if you want to go big, if you want to go big. Then we have the listeners that are like, hey, lifestyle business. I don't need to make a lot, you know, work-life balance. Okay, nothing wrong with that. But the people that want to, again, <laughs> exit for $8 billion, like you're going to be working like 100-hour weeks. Like there's no doubt in my mind, right? In order to get there. So so that's not necessarily a mistake that I, because I worked insane. You know, I've missed spring breaks. I missed all the holidays. I worked through all of them. I didn't date for years. Like, And I don't regret it. Even looking back, I don't regret it one bit because now I don't have to work that much. And I get to live, you know, travel the world. And half the time I'm gone in other countries countries. And so to me, it was worth it. But that's the sacrifice that people need to know they're going to have to make in order to get to this point. I think a lot of people try to model where successful people are now, but they didn't see the beginning. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They just rolled out of bed one day, created a unicorn and now they're, you know, billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. there's, There's a lot missing in that story. For sure. And so I would just, yeah, love to people kind of, kind of think that and learn, learn. There's so much like you, I'm on YouTube all the time. Every weekend I got YouTube playing in the background. Um, whether it's business leaders or things I want to learn that I don't, you know, fully understand in business and life. And so, um, I'm a lifelong learner. I have a massive custom bookcase in my home. I mean, now I'm all on audiobooks, but I still won't give up my yeah. physical books. So just learn, learn, learn. Yeah. Model, uh, mentor. Or like, you know, for younger people listening that want to get into this fun world of entrepreneurship, um, go intern for somebody for free. Like be willing to help and just shadow somebody. You can learn so much that way. So much. So... That's good. So thinking about the, the hustle, uh, owners absolutely have to do that. How do you balance the, the hustle versus building valuation for your company that's higher with you not doing everything? How do you balance those two? Yes. And so I'm glad. Yeah, let's clarify that. So in the beginning, so you really, it's very difficult to exit a company before two to three years. Like that's not, it's very, very rare. Um, or you're going to lose yeah. a lot of value. Like it's, it's kind of too new to do that, be able to pull it off that quick. Most of our exits with our clients, they've been in business about six years on average across the board, five, six. We had one at 10 years. Yeah. yeah I think that's pretty common. Um, cause you're, I mean, you're, again, you're spending those first three years building systems and processes and client and reputation in your team. So so when I say hustle, that friggin' three years is gonna be like head down, <laughs> no life. That's what so that's the part. And then you're exactly right. Then you start unraveling your because of course you're gonna wear every hat in the beginning. Of course, all right. of us did, all right. of us. And that's actually really smart. And that's how you're gonna build the processes out because you're gonna do them all. And then you start like, you know, working yourself out of the job, you know, over the rest of the time. That's how. Very, very good. So parting thoughts, parting advice for founders. What should they be thinking about as we go into 2023, 24 uh, economy, recession on the, at least being talked about? Yeah, Jeff, I know you're interviewing me, but I would love to hear, you know, you've had a few exits. Like what was your kind of what's your advice on like a learning lesson of like what not to do if there was one you had from those exits other than the earnout? <laughs> uh, get representation. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the, the most important because, you know, not doing that and I didn't do that a few times uh, because I thought it's going to be expensive. I don't want to do that. But then I think the, you know, you do it and you go, well, that was really dumb. I should have done that last time. So I think, you know, that would be one. Uh, strategic is, is by far my favorite. Uh, you know, so it's, it's not just financial because strategic values a lot more than just the, the numbers. The numbers are always important. Fundamentals matter. And, uh, so, you know, don't believe anybody that tells you that they don't. Uh, you know, losing money is always a bad idea. So fundamentals matter. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, making sure that you have your uh, your ducks in a row, making sure your uh, marketing is good, your finances are in order. I think that was really, really important uh, that you said that and knowing your numbers. And so being able to explain 
uh, your numbers and why you make decisions that you do or why you've done some of the things that you have. So make sure you know your story and that aligns with your marketing message that aligns with your numbers. And, uh, you know, you're, you're not worth $8 billion if you have a million in ARR. <laughs> so making sure that that story aligns with reality. I think that's always important. Yes. Oh, great. Great advice. Straight from Jeff. I know I'm not the host, but I had to ask that one. <laughs> so <laughs> well, my final, yeah, where can they learn more and yeah. any um, final thoughts? Yeah, I think we covered everything. And again, LinkedIn is great for me. So if there was something I didn't cover, something you guys want more questions on, uh, we do have openings for one or two summertime internships, which we did last, we did one last summer. It's paid internship. Um, if anybody is interested in a deep dive into the M&A world, which is fine. I love mentoring. Um, so I'm always a fan of bringing on, you know, a paid intern um, for the work experience. And again, the mentorship <laughs> that people a lot of times need in the industry. Uh, so yeah, just reach out LinkedIn. The Magnolia Firm is all over social. So like you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, I have Broker Bob, which is my alter ego, where I dress up as an old nice. man and, and play, play a broker. <laughs> and it's like real life stories that I'm literally like actual things brokers are saying these days. They're talking about fax machines still. And I'm like, falling out of my chair. So I'll just yeah. uh, imitate them and one day probably get in trouble for it, but that's okay. Yeah, that's good. We'll definitely make sure and link that uh, in the bio. Any other final thoughts, parting that, words? No, Jeff, this was fun. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. It's great. We'll make sure and link that, uh, your bio in the show notes and also the book. So whenever it comes out, we'll make sure and promote that uh, really big. Everybody should grab a copy of the book. Uh, how to sell your business yourself? Do you have a, a title for it yet? I know. No, I was afraid you were still going to ask that. We're all, yeah. I think my team just <laughs> last week came up with it. Now I'm trying to remember, and I loved it. It was such a great, like, solid title, and then a subtitle. Um, yeah. So, but but yeah, message me Whatever on LinkedIn for free copy. In the show notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you, Christine. Really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks again, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thanks again, Christine, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. You know, I wish I had had somebody like Christine with me the first time I sold the business because I didn't know how much I knew. And the second time, too. By the third time, I knew how little I knew how much I didn't know and worked with advisors who did. So you can learn more about Christine and the Magnolia Firm at themagnoliafirm.co. And of course, follow Christine on social as well. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes, including links to the Magnolia Firm and Christine's social, are available at sassfuel.com. You can subscribe or follow us there or your favorite platform, including YouTube, where we have full episodes, shorts, outtakes, and some other fun stuff as well. So subscribe and follow us. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a laminated copy of my hidden waterfall napkin map. Or, you know, just be smart and work with a, a real guide, not one of these things. Join us next week after Labor Day, where our founder is Tony Flores, founder and CEO of Growth Science. Growth Science helps B2B SaaS companies gain competitive advantage, even those in a crowded or mature category. You want to become a category leader? This is the episode for you. Next Thursday on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have Erwin Howe, founder of Chromatics Website Design, an award-winning web design and conversion agency. Since 2009, he has analyzed 60,000-plus websites, gone on to amass over 80 industry awards. He'll be sharing with us how to make your website and copy engage and convert better. You've got it out there. You want it to convert? This is a great episode. Enjoy Labor Day, eat some barbecue, spend some time out of the office, no screens, spend time with friends, family, decompress. And it's amazing the solutions that come when you get out of that environment and just into life. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.